0: hello everyone and welcome to another learning rebels coffee chat where all the cool lnd peeps hang out discuss ideas experiences and share stories about lnd specific topics I'm Shannon Tipton, owner of Learning Rebels, where we strategically fix training that's broken and develop workplace learning that delivers desired business results. Today, we had a special coffee chat, Ask Me Anything, featuring Dr. Kevin Thorne about educational comics. When it comes to educational comics, many of us think that comics are for kids or childlike adults. Is there room for educational comics in our toolbox? Well, incorporating comics as a tool in training programs allows participants to connect concepts with visuals and possibly trigger or reframe past knowledge. But wait, there's more. Not only are participants engaging in visual processing, But educational comics also activate higher levels of thinking. And who doesn't want that? So, stay tuned as Kevin answers all your questions about educational comics. So, without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome once again, everyone, to this Friday's Coffee Chat. I'm very excited to have a special guest with us normally, our coffee chats are a big chat, as the name would imply, right? I usually put a question out there on the table and just let you guys come together and we answer that question and we have a robust discussion about the question that's on the table. Today, however, we are doing something special. We brought Kevin in and Kevin's going to do and Ask Me Anything regarding educational comments. And I wrote the blog last week and I kept my fingers crossed that if Kevin were to read it, I wouldn't be drug over the coals, you know, for putting out bad information or poor information. But I think I did an okay job with it. And the purpose here is to give you yet another tool in your toolbox to be able to create designs or even holistic programs that connect or resonate with your learners on a different level. And so to that point, what I want to do is I want to officially welcome Kevin to our coffee chat. Welcome, Kevin. And uh, I've known Kevin for a long time. Kevin and I have known each other. And I always give Kevin credit where credit is due. My Learning Rubble's logo back there on my wall, that is a Kevin Thorne creation. So Kevin was the the one who developed my logo for me, and I am always grateful for him to help me do that. So again, credit where credit is due. But beyond that, obviously, his skill set is wide and deep. In so much, you've just recently achieved your doctorate.
1: Yeah, jazz hands, right?
0: You're <laughs> New, right, newly, newly, newly minted. minted. Yeah. So now from here on out, we should call you Dr. Kevin.
1: You can, if you like. It's I'm still getting used to that. Somebody called me that the other day, and I didn't turn around, and I didn't respond. And I was like, oh, wait, yeah, that's me.
0: <laughs> I was just going to turn the mic over to you to let you introduce yourself.
1: Uh, Kevin Thorne, owner-operator of Nuggethead Studios, which is a kind of a boutique, all things creative. Uh, illustration, e-learning, games, whatever, comics, of course. I'm also the director of development for Artisan E-Learning, and uh, Shannon and I are homies. Um, my brother actually lives in the same town as as Shannon. Um, uh, I've been doing this, my gosh. I'm retired army, and then I got out of the army, and I went into IT, and then. Somewhere along that path, I was invited to the training department in the corporate environment, and that's kind of where I cut my teeth on basically self-teaching myself all things e-learning and instructional design. did that for about fifteen years and then I quit and started my own company. and then I don't know, I just had a itch to go back to school. I know what it was. It wasn't really an itch. it was it was an itch, but at the same time, um I was asked to teach at the university because I had been, Guest speaking for different classes over the years and i was on their advisory board and then finally they just came in and said hey we would like you to teach for us i said great and they said okay where'd you get your master's I said, I, I don't have one well you can't teach for us said, that's not my problem like i know what i know i can teach for you but if if you got i don't have that piece of paper so then they were just really working with me and uh, it really helped me get started to get to join a master's program. Not that I really was ever thought I would go get a master's degree, but I'm glad I did because it opened up areas that I thought I knew about, but I didn't really know. So it would. And then that just ignited that passion It's like, OK, now it's like I want to quit my job and go back to school full time and learn everything I can. And then, so I got my master's. I graduated in 2018 with my master's. And then we talked about the doctorate and and things that for next year or two. And then COVID was hit. And anyway, so I was just, hey, you should you should probably go get a doctor. I said, what what would I do? Why would I why would I do that? And then my advisor he says, well, you like comics, why don't you go research comics for learning? I was like, ah, oh, sold. Where do I sign up? So they were uh, right on board with the whole idea of researching comics for education for learning adults um, from day one. So that was my inspiration to go back and get my doctorate. And that's what my dissertation was on, comics and adult education and using comics, which now has opened up a whole nother world of questions, right? That I want to do more research. So if you're in here and you're listening and you come back and watch this recording, if anybody wants to fund some more research, just let me know. Got all kinds of ideas.
0: I, I mean, who would have thought that you could get your doctorate in educational comics? I mean, that just blows my mind.
1: It still blows my mind. But and then the next big thing is I want to I want to convert my research into a graphic novel.
0: Now that would be right up my alley. I, I would probably be able to understand and comprehend <laughs> what you're doing by reading that.
1: It's a like uh, the research, a lot of the research is on it's broken down into three things. It's the visual language theory informs comic design. And then because we're in the world of e-learning, it's interactive and it's digital. So then there's the concepts behind, um, the constructs behind digital storytelling. So it's the visual language theory informs the construction of digital storytelling and then using the comic medium as the output. So that's mm-hmm. sort of the research piece of it. So I just thought if if we were to take that research, convert it to a, a drawn graphic novel, then you're applying the research to an actual document. You're applying the visual language to a, well, it wouldn't be digital storytelling, but it would be telling a story in a graphic way about the research. I, just, I, I need love it. I to go do that, though, because that's going to take a long time. To put together.
0: <laughs> well, you can see in the comments there, you already have a list of pre-orders awesome. for that. So you might might as well just jump all over it.
1: Anybody that wants to fund me for six months to to stop working for six months to go do that, that'd be great. I'd be right on it.
0: Yeah, we should start a GoFundMe for that. (laughs) Get Kevin's dissertation written in a graphic novel. There we go. go. All right. What I find interesting about this entire topic is the growth, you know, Years ago, we weren't we weren't talking about this. I mean, I know you were doing it because I saw the work that you did, for example, with Trish, right? With Trish Yule that you did with the railroad company, you know, so I saw that work and that was a number of years back. But prior to that, and even during that, nobody was really talking about using comics in this particular setting, you know, so I would love to kick your brain a little bit about where where did that realization happen where you said, oh, you know what? This could work. We could do this. Was it just sort of a natural evolution or did you have a moment?
1: I've always had that moment because um, I don't know if you're familiar with Will Eisner. Mm-hmm. Will Eisner was doing this in the 40s. He recognized the, the power of the comic medium for teaching adults in the 40s when he and you may not be familiar with PS monthly or ps magazine preventative service monthly was a military magazine that he wrote and drew in the military starting in the late 40s and then when i joined the army in the 80s i saw my first comic book ps monthly when i was stationed in germany and i thought you know my world just came to i was like oh my gosh there's an army comic book but it was educational and it was exactly what the cover said preventive service so it was a several characters that you would follow month to month to month and it was about taking care of your equipment whether it was your vehicle your radio equipment your weapons whatever it was they were just like little pamphlet think of performance support little comic book pamphlets and i collected those while i was over there and you know came home had them in a box and then my mom sold them in a yard sale one summer we're not going to talk about that though oh no (laughs) so will eisner had that vision as far back as the 40s but then we had the um, the wave of the comic book, you know, the 60s. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the comic book ban and, you know, comics are ruining children and all this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So then later when comics in the 90s just started falling off and then it kind of resurged and now they're back up again, of course, Marvel and all that. But then we think of comics, there's two things that come to mind initially. One is the superhero genre or the comic strip it's it's hard to get past that because that's it's childish it's it's entertainment it's not educational but then when we look back at history on where comics been used for those really complex abstract topics it doesn't get the awareness that it should but it's been around for a long time and so when i got into this industry And I've always been a big comic fan, and always an illustrator and an artist. Even when I started in the corporate world, I'm trying to influence these types of visual design in my work. And I'd always get this great feedback. And then you know, do one little project, and then a little bit bigger project, a little bit bigger project. And then when I started my company, and I started out, and we were, I was working with uh, CDC, the Center for Disease Control, was doing a HIV awareness campaign, and Uh, if you're not familiar they did a zombie preparedness 101 which was on the the same as emergency preparedness Mm -hmm. you know all the little things you have to have for your 72-hour you know emergency kit but they used the theme of zombies so back when zombies were a big thing right back in the early 2000s the cdc had a comic book made called zombie preparedness 101 but if it was based on being prepared for emergencies so when they were doing this HIV awareness campaign. They contacted me and it's like, hey, we want to do a comic. So I was like, okay, this is great. I don't have to sell it, I don't have to pitch it. So we did this big comic interactive digital storytelling comic about the CDC. And it ran on their website for almost four years, five years. Wow. The shelf life on that was pretty amazing. That was uh 2012, 2014, I think. At that moment, I was like, okay. Now I've got a reputable agency that has comics as a way to teach adults or educate or inform adults. There's something bigger here that I need to explore. So then I just kept doing that every time a new project would come up, and everything. I was thinking, is this is this a good fit for this medium? Yes, no. So then over time, I was able to get more projects. With you know, I've comics for the U.S. Navy. I've done comics for. Other healthcare institute, the American Pediatric Institute. One, it takes, it takes an open minded client, if you will, customer that says, Hey, I, I understand the value of this medium. Um, if they don't understand, then it took me going back, basically taking myself to school, educating myself on why would this medium be a benefit to this topic? And here's why. So then I had to come up with a. An elevator pitch, if you will. How do I sell it? How do I pitch it for those to get them more opened up? Um, but just to be clear, it, it is not the right medium for every project. Right? It doesn't fit everywhere. No, no more than any other thing we choose. Video is not the best thing here, or animation is not the best mm-hmm. thing. So it's it's just think of comics as a medium, as another output medium for you can choose from. I mean, I can keep going and on and on, but I know there's questions.
0: <laughs> that's what you're here for. And I think one of the questions that we do have on our mentee board right now is, how do you determine whether or not a comic is the right tool for a learning intervention?
1: Anything that's a scenario. If you have a minimum of a two-character dialogue in a scenario, perfect fit. Multiple characters, obviously, you know anything like that. Going kind of down, I haven't really mapped this out, but I've given it a lot of thought. Anything that you have to explain a complex sequence of steps. So something that's complex, more technical, you can bridge reality with the abstract because you can go inside that world. And anything that's abstract, like really difficult conversations like mental illness or how do you teach empathy in e-learning? How do you teach efficacy in e-learning? These abstract concepts, how do you teach that in a E learning way. And this is where comics can come in the medium. That's where that comes in. And you can really explain those concepts at a a deeper level.
0: And I can see this, like you said, complex topics, things that tug at the heartstrings. So you can really use comics to drive an emotional connection.
1: On your blog, the emotional engagement, right. So if we think of learner experience design, I mean, that's what we do for a living. Our job is to connect the learner with the content. How do we do that? And there's all kinds of different ways that we've tried and to make it more engaging, you know that kind of thing. So with comics, you can relate to the learner's environment at a deeper level than you can with photos and video. You can culturally represent a learner right in their, where their world is with comics that you can't do with other media. That's what you can't do with other mediums. But you're limited there's only so much you can do with stock photography but do you have the budget to go on location to mm-hmm. take all of the custom photography in an environment culturally that clearly not we don't have the funds and the budgets and things like that to do that so we rely on either creating our own visuals which then falls into the skill gap or we have to rely on source like stock sources which mm-hmm. then become limited because i might want oh i want this environment exterior, but I want this environment interior. But that doesn't look like they belong in the same neighborhood, because it's a different style or something like that. There's a different tone to it. The lighting might be different. So we get into the whole visual design of it. And then we go down rabbit holes. How many times go ahead, let me see a raise of hands. How many of you spent three hours looking for one image, you design the environment. And then you create the environment with comics specifically to that design. Every detail. Uh, My research was on a case study based on that we were working with. The objective was reducing infant mortality rates in northern India in a low-fidelity, low-literacy environment in this area of of low-income India. And a lot of the challenges were they were taking the training, but they were not retaining the information. So we developed a comic, and we spent time talking to the actual learners. And we ask them, one, you know, their their interest in comics. And it turns out the learners, we can say, oh, yeah, I want to do a comic. And you're like, oh, yeah. The client's like, oh, yeah, we'd love to do a comic. But do the learners want? It? Is that a medium that would be, would they invest in it on their mm-hmm. end? Mm-hmm. So let's go back to our roots in, in instructional design on that front-end analysis. Part of that is learner context analysis, learner environment, all that. We do our analysis. So we spent time in that audience asking them their interest in comics. And surprisingly, they they all love the medium. And then we go into what, what do you like the most? Do you like superheroes? Do you like fantasy? Do you like science fiction? You know, what genre do you like the most? And superhero came out to the top. They like the superhero genre. Okay, what style do you like? Do you like the more comic strip style, like newspaper comic strip style? Do you like the adventurous Marvel comic type superhero kind of style? And surprising to me, they come out, we like the Bollywood style. I was like, oh oh, and okay. Was... So then we had to go down and research Bollywood. What are some of the stylistic things in Bollywood, right? A lot of bright colors and mandalas and all these types of things. So then we generated some model sheets, some character model sheets, we created a couple of superheroes, but we were able to create these characters with traditional saris and Samurakami's India dress and India wear, and then created superhero characters wearing those typically seen like in a Bollywood type environment. So number one, right off the bat, the characters immediately connected to the audience because they can relate to those care characters because they're believable. If I believe I would see that character on the street at the cafe, then I know that I would believe that character that is trying to help me learn, teach something. So you never thought there was that much in the putting a comic together in a learning comedy, right? You're just like, oh, I'll just grab some characters and toss them in some speech bubbles and we can call it a day. It's a little bit more involved than that. <laughs>
0: It's really, that's really fascinating. That's taking needs analysis to a whole different level. Yeah. I mean, you're asking a whole series of different questions that I would never have thought to ask. And then also, you touched on something that I also can connect with the fact that, you know, when you're dealing with an audience that perhaps is English as a second language or uh, low literacy, You know, where this can really help connect learning to those particular demographics. And I think that we've all had that experience. I can remember way back in my early training days, we um, were dealing with an audience that really low, low literacy rates. And we had to really think out of the box about how we were going to train this particular group of people. And I wish I had thought of that. That's just a no-brainer answer to that question.
1: Yeah, and that's where the visual language theory comes in, because it's universal, right? Mm -hmm. There's no borders. And I can communicate, the power of comics is I can communicate a message that it doesn't matter what your spoken language is, you can read pictures, right? But then it gets a little trickier, because when you get into cultural representation, and you want those images to be culturally correct one image or one color in one region of the world means something differently than it means something in a different part of the world so then you have to really get do your research to make sure you're representing things so give you give me a perfect example the project i was talking about in india uh there was one scene where these two characters were nursing students together in class and it was a classroom environment and a teacher at the front and we grabbed some resource photos and we drew some sketches and we kind of laid out what we thought that scene might look like. And we put it together, threw some color on it and tried to, you know, some initial feedback. It's like, well, first off, we have no whiteboards. Uh, They're all chalkboards. So we're thinking modern Western civilization in a low resource, low fidelity, low income. They chalkboards is a luxury. It's like a privilege. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay it's good to know. So that made us think more that well, we need to think more about that culture. I mean, get down to the details. So we went back and we redrew the scene. And it's like, okay, um, think of a classroom, everybody's sitting at a desk and they're writing notes, right? And the teacher's explaining at the front of the room. She's kind of, imagine that scene. Everybody had like pencils or pens. And one character had a pen and we colored the pen red. And one of our Stakeholders who was in India saying, "Oh, we can't use that pen," and I was like, we were just kind of puzzled. Like, I'm not sure what you're saying. Say, like, well, we don't have access to ballpoint pens. All of our pens are disposable. We can't afford refillable ballpoint click pens, like a refillable ballpoint click pen. And that's what this image looked like. It looked like a re, you know, like a little click pen mm-hmm. with a little barrel, you know, brass barrel right. around it. And it was just a little tiny detail in this larger image scene. And that one detail, that one stakeholder pulled out and said, nobody's going to relate to that object because they don't know what it is. They've never seen it. It's like, oh. So that took us to another deep lens. Okay. Now we have to be very careful. Every detail we have to make sure the learner on that end knows exactly that they can say, this is, I can see myself in that classroom. I can see myself in this room. I can see myself using these objects. There's a number of those things. Like for instance, we drew a wheelchair in this healthcare environment. You know, in the back of a wheelchair, there's a pole with an IV that you can hang, right? Yeah, no, we're talking that's a modern wheelchair. That's not what they have, right? So this is the older wheelchairs. We had a scene where um it was uh neonatal. So there was a scene where Mother giving birth on the table, and the nurses are around, and then the parents are in the background. And I mean, unanimously said, Oh, we, we can't do this scene. It's like, why not? See, there are no men allowed to be present during childbirth. It's like, oh. oh, didn't know that. So that's an Indian culture thing, right? It's like, Oh, erase the male figure out of the scene. It was a three year project. I mean, it's pretty huge project. Um, But that was the fodder. All of that experience was the fodder for my interest in researching. If it's so different there, what are we we not doing here? Mm -hmm. what, What do we take for granted when we use this medium here? As opposed to, well, what if I have a project in Southeast Asia or Europe? What are the differences when it comes to visual language and visually presenting things? One is universal but then we get into the details and then cultural representation and character relatability. Those two are biggies. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think that those little details are transferable regardless of whether or not you're thinking about comics or e-learning development, video, images, et cetera. So I think all of those mindful details are important all the way through when we think about learning design in general.
1: Yeah. Mindfulness. That's a good word. And it's hard to do because we get so caught up in the workflow. We get so caught up in the details that we, it's hard to step back a little bit and be mindful. And especially we get so close to our work. It's hard to see it with an objective eye. Right.
0: But the other question that we did have was tools. So how do you go about, I mean, the question here is what tools do you use to create comics? I'll build on that and say, um, do you have a certain storyboard method that you use? You know, how is it that it goes from ideation to creation?
1: Well, the first tool that we all own and we all should use every day is a pencil and paper. Ideas start on paper, not in your computer. I know there's fancy tools like Miro and uh, you know Jamboard and all this you know brainstorming tools. You still have the digital noise around you when you're looking at a computer, because you might get a ding here and a ding there. My first encouragement is shut the lid of your laptop, go to a quiet place in your room or wherever you can go, break out a 99-cent pad of grid paper and a box of pencils, and then start thinking with your pencil. You don't have to know how to draw. Stick figures are fine. Just draw squares and lines and just kind of think through the, the sequence, right? So... Sequential image narrative or sequential visual narrative, another book that uh, Will Eisner wrote, is about how do you communicate through a sequence of images? So think at that rudimentary fundamental level, not about the details yet, not about the style, not about how we're gonna produce it or anything like that. You know, let think of storyboard, right? Sequence, you're going in a document, you are write, well, this is gonna happen, this guy, and then I'm gonna tell them this, same thing, but you're just, you're doing it visually. Now, from there, I mean, it, it's all, I always get, it's interesting when people ask me, what tools do you use? Because tools are irrelevant in using comics for learning. So the same thing, if you were going to design a scenario, when you get to that point, then you say, like, okay, which medium do you, do I want to use to produce this scenario? Oh, I want to use Vyond in an animation, or I want to do live action video, or do I want to do comics? So the output is irrelevant to the design. The caveat to that is if you already know what your output is, then you can start thinking through that design. You know, like, if you're doing a live action video shoot, you're thinking of location and camera angles and sets and different things like that. If you're doing a comic, you're thinking, well, this, this style needs to be here and this panel needs to be here and I need to bring this in, but I'm old school. So it's pen and paper, then it's ink on paper. And then I digitize it. So then I use illustrator and Photoshop and, mm-hmm. you know, clean it all up and bring it to life. But there are a lot of great beyond, you know, we are all familiar with that, the animation tool. But tools like that become, as you know, if you work in these types of tools, you know, that they're restrictive. There's software, all software has limitations and it's restrictive. It only does certain things and it can't do other things. So then you're put into a shoe box because if your design is like, well, I want to do this. But then you get into this tool and the tool restricts you from doing your design. Then you have to change your design to fit the tool. Then it comes down to skill. If you really wanted the buy-in with a client, the customers, all that for a comic style medium output learning experience, then you have to add extra time to the budget. So if you want this high-end comic type interactive digital story, I need more time to do that at a quality level and then you tear it down depending on whether you do the work yourself or whether you outsource it like you contract the work out.
0: Another question that we had was how can we address making an educational comic accessible especially those with vision disabilities.
1: Vision disabilities that's that's easier than the other part because then it's just doing good contrast checker and make sure everything's contrast and bold. You have to separate all your assets um, so that the alt text reads each asset correctly. It just depends on your focus on what, what the focus is of that image. So think of a scene, Um, there's a background, there's elements in the scene, there's other objects might be a character, two characters. So if you layer all of those instead of one static graphic, if it was one static graphic, then you have a paragraph for an alt text, right? Then you have to explain the whole what's going on in a whole image. But if you give them the ability to mouse over and move their mouse over different objects within that scene, that each one could have their own independent alt text and they can explain where they're going. And then you'd have to take extra caution to how many of those elements are on screen at one time. So you might have to break it up a little bit for the visual side. I'm actually doing some independent research on two character dialogue, and then I'll do three character or multiple character later. But from an accessible standpoint, you have closed captions and then you have speech bubbles. So the question then becomes, are the speech bubbles a replacement of closed captions? Because if the speech bubbles were read by a screen reader, I don't need the conflict between closed captions at the bottom of the screen and then speech bubbles popping up here. So I'm working on some ideas to where the speech bubbles then become the actual closed captions. And the learner controls the pace of those speech instead of one big long audio file it's broken up to where the learner controls when this character speaks then that way I can go back and forth well I didn't hear that let me go back and then not only do I hear it but I also see that speech bubble I have total control over the conversation of the dialogue so I'm Mm -hmm. doing some experimenting with that and hopefully I'll come up with a a good model that I can share soon
0: Hey, well, I think that totally makes sense because that's the first thought that came into my head was voiceover, you know, for that. So if somebody wanted to hear audio, maybe an audio description or, or something along those lines, would that work?
1: There's so many. I mean, just think of all the assets that we have to think about. Right. Like if, if I want to do a comic and I want to do a I did one for Cisco. It was a comic book. People that work for Cisco for one year. And I don't know if it's still the same. If, if you work for Cisco, maybe you can tell me I'm correct or not. But if, if I remember correctly, if you work for Cisco for one year, then you are required to go back to your university and recruit. So it's got like a job fair. So you go back mm-hmm. to your alma mater's job fair as a Cisco employee, and then rec- try to recruit new tech talent to come work for Cisco. They would do a week-long training seminar in preparation for those job fairs. But it was like, you know, a couple three ring binder full of information. And then they would get back to their job fair and they would be lost. They didn't know what they were doing. So they needed some kind of a performance support thing on, you know, so they can have with them at there. So we created a 16 page comic book. So in that regard, that design is printed, right? It's it's static images, panels, like Mm -hmm. you would simply read a comic book. And there were full page art, there were half page art, and then there were like scenario panels. So that approach is totally different than it would be for an interactive digital story where you've got to deal with audio, um, voiceover, voiceover talent, artwork, all the assets network, the, the tool that you're using, accessibility features, and all of those. There's so much more to think through when it's an asynchronous type delivery. You need more time to do that. It would be to do the same thing as a book, right? And even the same... May not think about this, but most most comic books are portrait. Most e-learning is landscape. oh, yes, So you think about storyboarding in a word document that's portrait top to bottom, and then e-learning is landscape. So when you're designing a comic for print in a portrait style is different than designing a comic for asynchronous. But then what if you design an asynchronous digital story comic for e-learning? But then you also wanted to use those assets in a performance support job aid after they take the learning. So then you've got, how do you, how do you design the assets to work in two different modalities? Cause one, you've got preparing the assets for digital screens, but then also preparing the assets for print because, uh, the color for print prints, different color than it prints for the screen. So you got different colors. So, uh, you know, RGB versus CMYK. So now you get into the technical stuff of all that <laughs> the casting.
0: Here's a little bit of a, a fun question, I guess. It says, are you familiar with the work of Scott McCloud?
1: Very much so. Which book are we talking about? Understanding Comics, 1994.
0: Understanding Comics. Okay. All right. So yes to that question.
1: Just to follow up, Scott McCloud probably has the best definition of what a comic is comic has think of it as an umbrella there's the comic medium and then underneath that there are different modalities of how you use comics so we immediately when we hear the word comic we immediately go to marvel dc comic strip graphic novel that side of medium right that modality but he wants to remind us to keep think of an airline safety card when you fly the pictograms in the trifold safety car and a perfect example of a comic medium because it's using visual language in a sequence of an images to inform or educate oh, okay if the oxygen mask, but also if you next time you fly don't mm-hmm. just read it like you're a, a passenger oh i need to learn i need to understand this dissect it from a visual language sequential image narrative, the pictograms in the sequence they're going, and then also that it' they have to be universal. So regardless of what spoken language, I need to be able to look at this safety card and be able to understand the instructions in the event of an emergency. So the airline safety card is probably the perfect example of of the comic as a modality underneath the comic medium umbrella sequential visual, language sequential mm-hmm. visual narrative and pictograms are one style icons are another style there's a number of those different kind of things you should read my research paper i go through all that stuff
0: we'll be we, again when you publish that as a graphic novel we're all behind you <laughs> have you considered ai to provide voice to have both the visual and the auditory or would that change the experience in a way that wouldn't benefit the learner so, I guess there's two parts to that question. I guess that goes back to the question that we just answered in regards to having some sort of audio overlay.
1: For voice, yeah. The AI voiceover technology has just exploded just in the last year. I mean, they're getting a lot better. Um, you may be familiar with Well Said Labs, one of the more popular AI tools right now. The problem with Well Said Labs is it doesn't recognize special characters like question marks explanation points. So if you ask a question, it's not going to the emphasis in voice doesn't inflect like I'm asking a question, or an exclamation point. There's some new technology coming out. I think it's re voice over I think is the name of it. Uh, they claim to be able to solve that problem. Uh, I haven't checked it out yet. So you have to be careful. It just depends on your character to answer that AI voice. Yes, AI voice quick, great, put your script in there, generate a voice. However, if you want, if you're taking it up another level and you want authenticity, you got to hire a, a live actor to do the voice talent. To give you an example, going back to this India project, the request was: we need you know characters for our two superheroes, our superhero and our villain, and we need a British female, Kings English, with an Indian accent.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Okay, so AI is not going to generate that voice. <laughs> So I have to go find this character. Oh, and by the way, if they speak Hindi, that's a plus because we're translating it into Hindi as well. So let me go hunt, right? So I had recently worked with this other voice talent. I went out looking for, I couldn't find. So I reached out to this other voice talent and say, look, here's what I'm looking for. In your network, can you help me find somebody? So she sent me two Indian voiceover actors who speak King's English, British. I said, great. So I sent them a couple paragraphs to do an audition. They came back. It's like, oh my gosh, these are perfect. I think they're perfect. Let me send them to the stakeholder, the clients. Let's see if they want them. They said, great, great. Let's hire them both. Terrific. Bam. I mean, it was easier than I thought it was going to be. And then we were behind on script writing and the one uh, the one character, or the one voice talent came back and said, hey, look, when are we going to do the recording? I've got to travel to India. My uncle has fell ill. So I'm going to be away for a while. Can we get this recorded before I leave? And I say, ah, oh, it doesn't look like we're going to be able to, um, when are you coming back? We'll have it ready for you. When you get back, she goes, oh, I'm sorry. We're, we're going to start filming when I get back. And I'm not going to be available. I'm filming? What do you mean you're filming? She goes, Oh, I'm, um, uh, I can't think of the character name, but she's, uh, was filming the, the next season of Dr. Who. She's the actress in Dr. Who. And she also does voiceover talent on the side. And I was like, "You mean we just lo- we just lost you? I mean, I could have had a Doctor Who character in my comic. I just lost out because we didn't get the script done in time." It's like, oh, oh. Man. But then we had to go. F- we found another one. It was just as good, if not better. And something like that, right? So your design is going to dictate a lot of this stuff. It comes all the way back down and say, like, "Hey, we want to do this comic medium themed instruction." Great. How much money do you have? okay, great. How much time do we have? Okay. This is what you get because time and budget. Now, if you give me, I don't know, an extra six months and a few more dollars, I can take it up a notch. I can get you more authentic voices. I can get you more authentic artwork. Mm-hmm. I can design better scenarios, you know, that kind of thing. It's just all of the same project management stuff is the same. Time, money, right. speed, you know, that kind of thing, right?
0: Another question that we had here was, how can comics go along with branching scenarios or videos, job aids, et cetera, on the same specific training topic?
1: Ooh, I love branching scenarios. So think of, design a branching scenario. You know, we design first, then we develop. So if I'm designing a scenario first, I may want to do it as a comic. But as I go through my designs, like, you know, it's not going to work. I would rather do this as a live action video. Or I think just static backgrounds and some static characters with different poses and expressions will be fine here. I don't need full-on custom comic mm-hmm. artwork. When I when I say comic, in the context of the type of work I do, you're going into the abstract. You're going into the complex. And again, so how do you going back to this healthcare project I was working on? So think of anybody remember Inspector Gadget like back in yeah, for my sure. dating myself right. So, you know, Penny, and Penny had the bag, and Penny had all the tools to help Inspector Gadget. She actually solved the crime. Inspector Gadget never solved the crime, right? But he got all the credit. Mm -hmm. But she had this one bag, and she could pull out an amazing assortment of tools and technology to help, right? So we kind of used that as inspiration, where this superhero character had a pouch. And in her pouch, she had all these tools that she can help facilitators learn how to be better facilitators, so one of the tools she developed in her fictitious world is called energy spray. So if you're getting ready to facilitate a simulation and you're feeling self-doubt or you're feeling worried or you're feeling rushed, you would take a moment, you would pull out your energy spray and you would spray yourself. And then in the cloud, and the mist, you would see the emotion that you're experiencing. And then you can address that emotion before you become be, be a facilitator. And you can do this all visually and then the villain on the other hand was trying to destroy every facilitated simulation she just had this chip on her shoulder so she created bugs and the bugs were the characters and the bugs represented fear or self-doubt or discouragement or anxiety so all of these abstract emotions these bugs became the characters that represented those emotions And then this villain would create a bug and then put it in an incubator and then create a swarm and then send the swarm through the air ducts of her lab out into the wild to attack the next simulation. And these bugs would bite participants in the simulation. When the fear bug bit you, you would be afraid to ask an open question. You would be afraid Mm -hmm. to participate because you were worried about being laughed at. So you you see the design there right mm-hmm. you take the abstract concepts you design the instruction and then ooh i'm going to make a i'm going to make these emotions character bugs or i'm going to do i'm going to create these physical objects as a way to uh another thing we come up with we call it a learning lens and it looked like an old school telescopic telescope that you expanded and a big red button on it and then when you click the button, an old Polaroid photograph would spit out, right? So basically, you're a facilitator watching a simulation. You bring out your, your learning lens, and you focus in on, on one of the participants. You click the button, and now you have a record of that moment. So when you get into the debrief, you can say, oh, look. But then also, that photo would produce whatever emotion and feeling that participant was going through at the time. So it was teaching the facilitator to read body language, read their expressions, try to read what's going on while they're participating in the simulation. So that when you get to the debrief, you can have a discussion about what you were feeling. How did you feel about the simulation, mm-hmm. that simulation? So it, it's taking abstract and bring them into reality. And that's where comics outperform any other media. You can do anything that transcends time and space with the comic media.
0: I love that. A couple of quick questions before we wrap up. What tool do you use to prototype with?
1: Pencil and paper.
0: Pencil and paper. All right.
1: Seriously, like an animatic, you do it. You can do it in PowerPoint. All you just got to do is just kind of come up with your concepts, put them in sequence and then walk through the sequence with your clients, your prototyping, right? It's like, okay, scene one, we're going to do this. and Then these two characters are going to have a dialogue and then we're going to do this. Uh, you might do a character model sheets. Like here's our characters in this story. Here's, you know, different poses, expressions. When it comes to starting out with a comic type thing, you, you don't need all the digital tools, just PowerPoint, pencil and paper, throw the images in there and walk through a sequence.
0: Awesome. Good to know though. I mean, you don't need high techie techie stuff to make this happen. Mm-mm. Last question. What comics are you into? What comics are you or were you into? I see a lot of, I see Batman right there.
1: I mean, I'm always a fan of Marvel and DC. But I really like indie comics, a lot of the uh, independent uh, creators um, and what they're doing. And because they're coming up with some really good stories. So I'm always looking for the next, you know, independent comic. It it turns out to be really successful. I don't know. For instance, one Paper Girls, if you haven't seen that, it's it's set in the 80s. And it's four girls that are bicycle paper deliveries.
0: Oh, Uh, that sounds like fun
1: um anyway that graphic novel is hugely successful and it's now been turned into a netflix series
0: oh really yeah
1: paper girls
0: yeah okay
1: great tv show yeah but it started out as a graphic novel a series of graphic novels um so you know just the indie comics i'm always into into looking at and there's another one real quick i want to check graphicmedicine.org graphic medicine is comics and healthcare, but it's teach everything from mental illness anxiety depression uh Uh, young adults, adults, children, anything, graphic medicine. And it's all about comics and healthcare. It's probably the biggest moving genre right now.
0: Good. I made a note of that. Thank you. We'll be sure to add it to the resources. And for everyone with us, this recording will be available on the Learning Rebels website under, if you go under resources, coffee chat, this video, including the, including the audio. All of the links that were mentioned, you guys shared a lot of links in the chat, so we'll be sure to get those in the resources too, as well as um, a list of the questions that were asked so you can match them to Kevin answering them. So this has been, I mean, the comments in the chat have been really great, and uh, a lot of people have said that, you know, kind of mind blown as far as all of the details that go behind the thought process here and really ensuring that we're connecting it to the audience in a much deeper way.
1: It's difficult because when we think of, oh, I'm doing I'm doing a comic for e-learning, and it's just characters on screen with speech bubbles. It's just dialogue, it's scenario, you click next, you go to another, you know, there's another scene. At a fundamental getting started, great, That's that's a great way to get started because you'll learn so much about what works and what doesn't work and what you're connecting with your learners. And then if you if you're interested in going at, at the, the next level, if you will, uh reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to have more chats with you or help you get started.
0: That's great. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you being with us today. And I Thank realize we it. ran a couple of minutes, a couple of minutes long, but that's all right because the information was really good. And I really could have listened to you talk about this for a whole lot longer than what we were scheduled to do. But that being said, is that we're going to be having Kevin back here in another uh, month or month and a half where we're going to be going through Legos. We're going to be Mm -hmm. doing a serious play for Legos and Kevin's going to be walking us through that. So be sure to keep your eyes open for that announcement. It's going to be coming shortly. And then for those of you who are new to our Coffee Chat, remember they are every other week. So not next week, the week after. The Coffee Chat will be all about to build on what we're talking about here. It's going to be about how do we unleash our creative minds so we're going to be talking about techniques that you may use any um ideas that makes you go into a creative mindset what do you do right do you go out spend some time in nature so what is what is it that's building your creative mindset that's in two weeks and well you come you come to that when you share with us what your your creative process is that would be lovely Also, the resources will be available for two weeks, like I said, on the Learning Rebels website. But if you want 24-7 access to all of the resources, not just for this Coffee Chat, but to all of the past Coffee Chats here in 2023, as well as in 2022, they are all in the Learning Rebels community. So be sure if you want those um, resources, as well as Learn Something New resources, you can find those in the Learning Rebels community, which uh, has been the link has been placed in the chat. So thank you, everybody, for being with us today. I hope you all have a great and wonderful weekend. Kevin, any special plans for the weekend? More writing. More writing? (laughs) Because we just can't get enough, right?
1: I got it. I'm, you know, done with the whole research, but there's just so much more I got to get out. Otherwise, I'll lose
0: it. You'll lose it. I know, right? You got to get those ideas down. Thank you everyone for hanging with us for this very special Learning Rebels Coffee Chat with Kevin Thorne, who answered all of our questions. It was a great conversation. I always knew the potential of educational comics, but as Kevin said, the devil is in the details. Implementing comics for learning isn't just about adding speech bubbles to drawings. It's about connecting your audience on a much deeper level than you might have expected. Understanding your audience's background, their experience, their culture. Comics are a representation of the people who read them. And in my most recent blog, Five Ways to Enhance Your Training Using Educational Comics, I list the benefits such as connecting people emotionally, or helping to simplify complex topics. Now I left out two very important areas that Kevin brought up. Using comics for people with low literacy and for whom English is a second language. That blew my mind. Talk about the forest through the trees idea, duh, right? Think of the emergency cards that you see on an airplane. These pictographs connect people to the emergency processes, regardless of the language barrier. This is the benefit of educational comics. Now there was a lot of information shared and the resources can be found in the show notes below. Now you wanna join us live, and you know you do, go on over to learningrebels.com and check out the events page and sign on up. And while you're there, don't forget to check out the Learning Rebels community where you can have an opportunity to build your knowledge, build capability, and connect with other cool L&D professionals. So in the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now.